if you're ready to get into the word this morning, let me hear you go, oh yeah, yeah. that's what I'm talking about, yes. Uh, I don't normally do this, but today I'm going to do this. I never give y'all the title of the messages that I preach here. We just usually jump into it, but today I want to do it because I think it's incredibly important. Are y'all ready for the title? The title for today's message is Lord of my lack. Lord of my lack. Well, that doesn't sound exciting. I found, though, that in my life, that it's really good to get excited about the blessings of God and the favor of God and God moving through your life in, in powerful times. But I've found more often that the times that I've grown and the times that I've seen God move the most were in seasons of lack in my life. When I didn't have enough to do what God was calling me to do, when I didn't have enough to fund what I felt like God was calling me to give to, when I didn't have enough to really in myself, even faith, to believe that God could use someone like me, just seasons of lack in our lives. And I believe that God chooses most often to move more powerfully in times of lack because it gives him the opportunity to show himself powerful. It gives him the opportunity to show that when we reach the end of our strength that we find the beginning of his. And as we start this series on Elijah today, I want to look at a theme that you see just in the first, the first chapter that we're introduced to this guy in his ministry. Just a theme of God moving in the lack and moving through the lack and what God's calling Elijah to do and where he's at in his life. So, Father, speak to us today. Lord, give us your word for our lives Lord, encourage us, correct us, grow us up, make us a little more like you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this time in the, uh, the history of Israel where we're introduced to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to get there in a second, this is an incredibly dark period of time in the history of Israel. Okay? It's just dark. Evil would be a great way to describe it. Uh, for the previous 19 kings that have ruled over Israel, they have progressively gotten more and more evil, the Bible says. More and more evil. Until we get to this guy named Ahab, who the Bible says was more evil than all of those guys combined. Now, this progress is happening like a domino effect in Israel, where you're seeing this moral decline going back over a period of 200 years, give or take, for 19 kings, started with Solomon. It all started with Solomon. Solomon was a guy that built the temple of God, had the presence of God fill the temple. Solomon was a guy we know is the wisest person to ever walk the earth. A lot of people think that he was the most wealthy person to ever live in the history of the world. Because God blessed him so powerfully. Solomon had it going on. Solomon had a problem, though. Solomon liked ladies. Solomon had hundreds and hundreds of wives. And hundreds and hundreds of concubines, which was legal for a king to do that back then. But he married women 
from foreign countries that served foreign gods, the Bible said. And because he let those people get in close to him, they influenced his own conviction and his own walk with God. His little bit of compromise opened the door for a moral and spiritual failure in his life. And they turned his heart away from God, the Bible says, so that he worshipped those foreign gods. His slip-up caused a chain reaction over the next 200 years of kingship in the history of Israel. They became progressively more and more sinful, more and more idolatrous. They, They became more and more evil because he opened the door and allowed that culture and those false gods to come in. And the, this, this is amazing to me. Just one generation removed from David, the door was open. Just 200 years later now, Israel is in one of the darkest periods it's ever seen in its history. They're worshiping Baal in temples, Ashereth in temples. Been, human sacrifices are happening in Israel Temple of God's over here. They're sacrificing people over here in this temple to Baal. Temple prostitutes are in action, and they consider that an act of worship. All this stuff is happening. And God says, I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm going to send my man to stop all this nonsense that's going on. And this is where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I think it's neat that God sends his one prophet to confront the king. You know, look. When you look through the Bible and you look through history, God often moves through one person. One person can spear a movement of people, but God often moves through one person. And I think that he still does the same thing today. And I think that if we'll give him the opportunity, he can still move in our lives to be that one person wherever we are in life. We have the opportunity to be that one person that God uses at work. Are y'all waking up a little bit this morning? We have the opportunity to be that one person that God uses at our schools when nobody else is interested in the things of God. We have the opportunity to be that one person in our family to stand up and point to the things of God. We have the opportunity, each of us, in our own sphere of influence and in our own world to be that one person that makes a difference for the kingdom of God. I really believe that that's possible. So don't discount what God can do in and through you. The same way one person, Solomon, opened up the door for compromise and evil to enter into the the land of Israel, one person can close the door on that in your home, at work, at school. One person can still make a difference. Amen? One person can still make a difference. So God sends Elijah. And the first thing that I notice about this guy is, is where he comes from. We don't really have much record from Elijah up until this point right here. He just kind of pops out of nowhere onto the map, and we start reading about what God's fixing to do in and through his life. Uh, but he comes from this place called Tishbe in the land of Gilead. And if I had a map to show you this morning, I point to a spot where we think it might be, but nobody knows for sure where Tishbe is. Nobody knows. You know why nobody knows? Because there's no reason for it to be on the map because 
nothing exciting really ever happened there, probably. You know, like, historically, if something awesome happens in a town, you're going to know what it's, from, what it's famous for. If I say Memphis, you're going to think music and barbecue, you know. If I, think, if I say Vegas, you're going to think, ah, that's, that's a bad place over there, you know, because it's known for what happens there. Like me, I come from a town in Alabama. I was born in Haleyville, Alabama. Haleyville is the town that you go through while you're going to somewhere else. Like, there's no reason to stop in Haleyville, Alabama, you know. <laughs> you go through it, you don't go to it. But even Haleyville, Alabama, go Lions, that's the high school team, go Lions. Um, even Haleyville, though, has got something to celebrate. Uh, this isn't big, but it's, it's something. How many of y'all have ever seen the TV show Green Acres? Green Acres is a place for me. Da, 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 da. Okay, Green Acres. Mr. Haney from Green Acres, Haleyville, Alabama, baby. From Haleyville, Alabama. All right, put us on the map. How many of you have ever been shopping at a Piggly Wiggly? Yeah, me too. Piggly Wiggly, what a name for a store. We couldn't come up with anything. Piggly Wiggly, okay, let's do it. Yeah, that's great. Be great for marketing. Piggly Wiggly. Um, L.B. Williams, the guy that owns or used to own uh, Piggly Wiggly, Haleyville, Alabama. Haleyville, Alabama, baby. And on the one main highway that goes through Haleyville, he had a house that had this big statue of a bull in the front yard. And so every year, the high school seniors would jump over his fence into his yard, and they paint the bull pink. And he'd come out every year, and he'd repaint it white. And every year, the seniors would jump the fence and paint the bull pink. So we had that going on in Haleyville. 911. Okay, the system that is across our nation, where if you are caught in an emergency and you need someone to come help you, you dial 911. Help is on the way. That system was started Haleyville, Alabama. Haleyville, Alabama. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Uh, we, we went to see some friends of ours one time. We would go back every once. I don't know if you go back to the place where you were born or raised and just to, for nostalgic reasons, and then you realize, wow, God really brought me out of Egypt sometimes, you know. Um, we went there to stay with some friends, and they were so excited about this new restaurant they had, and they were talking up this new restaurant. Y'all got to go. We got this great Mexican restaurant in town. They got great Mexican food. They've got this. They've got that. They've got this. They've got that. Okay, that sounds great. Let's go there for dinner. We hop in the car, and we go to this awesome Mexican restaurant that they just got in Haleyville. It was Taco Bell. Okay, that's... That's the level that we're talking about here. But even Podunk Backwoods Haleyville had something to land it on the map. Okay, Tishby, like there's nothing. Scholars don't even know where this place is. At best, they're guessing on where it is. So Elijah comes from this place where probably, I'm kind of speculating here and reading between the lines, so we don't know for sure because Scripture doesn't just bear it out. Um, but, but probably... He's coming from Nowheresville, okay? He steps out of Nowheresville and looks at the most evil king Israel has ever had and drops a truth bomb on him out of nowhere. You know, when I talk to people um, and encourage them to step out and let God use them, 
Sometimes people take the step, but a lot of times people are hesitant because we don't think we have the pedigree or the qualifications that we need for God to use us to do something powerful. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God's not concerned with any of that. He got Elijah from probably nowheresville, a place of lack. There's nothing Nothing cool about Teshby at all. Nothing. Calls him out because God qualifies the individual. The individual doesn't get qualified to be used by God. God qualifies the individual. You hearing me? Okay. There are a lot of people talking about, well, I, I, I can't speak. I can't teach. I, can't, I don't have the skills that I need. I, I, I would love to step out and, and have God use me in somehow, some way, you know, but I don't feel like I've got what it needs. You don't have to feel like you've got what it needs. In fact, you're probably in the best position ever to be used by God because when you look at Scripture, all through the Bible, God uses people over and over and over and over again who are not qualified. He brings people from nowhere with nothing to offer except obedience, and he does the miraculous through them all through Scripture, and he still does that today. Okay, so you might be here today and you think, you know what, I've blown it. I've done too much in my past. I have messed up in my life. Pastor Josh, that sounds great. That makes good preaching, but you don't know what I've done. I'm here to tell you today, that might have been what you did in the past, but that does not define who you are today. Who you are today is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, you don't know what people have said about me all my life. You might have heard lies after lies and people telling you you don't have what it takes to do what God's calling you to do or making any difference in life. That might be what they said, but that's not what God says about you. Are you hearing me this morning? God qualifies. God equips. God opens the door. God makes the way. Don't you ever think you can't be used by God to do something powerful because he does it all the time. He moves in the areas of our lack to show himself powerful. Man, if you only knew the mind games that go on with me as a pastor sometimes where the enemy will come in and lie to me and tell me that I don't have what it takes to lead this church. And I look back at him and I say with all of my heart, and I say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I don't have what it takes to lead this church. Well, you're not qualified. I know I'm not qualified to lead this church, but I am qualified by the one who has called me and those he calls he equips okay listen don't let the enemy lie to you don't sell yourself out god uses the unqualified every day every day every day and if you've got a heart to trust and step out it doesn't matter what your past is it doesn't matter new beginning new start new creation God qualifies those that he calls. And so Elijah just steps out of nowhere, qualified by God, apparently, and confronts this king and drops this truth bomb on him. And he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. That's amazing to me. Whom I serve. See, Elijah is finding his identity in the one that he serves. Even if you even look at the name Elijah, it shows who he's finding his identity in. If you break it up in Elijah, the L is short for Elohim. It means God. 
the I in his name, that is a, as a possessive term. It means mine or my. Jah is short for Jehovah. So his name literally means Jehovah is my God or my God is Jehovah. He might not have come from a popular place. He might have just stepped out of nowhere, but he knew who he served and he found his identity in Christ. And I'm telling you, if you find your identity in Christ, the rest will fall into place. And he speaks to Ahab and he says, there will n- <laughs> there's not going to be dew or rain in the next few years except at my word. You're in trouble. This was huge, okay? Israel at that time was an agricultural culture, okay? They, they made their money by what they were able to grow and sell, and their food came from what they could grow, okay? Their economy was based on agriculture. So for Elijah to say, no more rain for the next few years and no dew at all, okay? This was more than, hey, we're about to have a little drought, This was more than we're about to go into a time of famine. This was God shutting the whole party down, and you're about to see an economic collapse of your kingdom. It's not just that people are going to be hungry and there's not going to be food. You're going to be broke. You're not going to have money. You're not going to be able to pay an army. Everything is shut down, putting the brakes on the whole thing. So what he was saying here was huge. It was huge. And you would think that with Elijah just walking up saying that and kind of like having a mic drop prop, uh, a, a mic drop moment, just doop, drop the mic. Yeah, what you going to do now, Ahab? I done told you what God said. You thought there would be a line that was drawn right there and there would be this big battle, but there wasn't. As soon as Elijah had done that, God calls him away. First Kings 17, at verse 2, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine. Hide? Go hide in a ravine? He just walked up to the king who could have spoken a word and had Elijah killed. You get that, right? And God says, okay, now that you've done that, now it's time to go hide. I want you to go to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. Just to be clear, he's not talking about a football team from Baltimore. All right, literal ravens, literal birds, bringing food to this guy. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and then bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the the brook there. God says, okay, I brought you out of nowhere to do something awesome. Now I'm going to take you to nowhere so that you can learn to be dependent on me, and let me provide for you. Kareth, that Kareth ravine that Elijah went to, that word Kareth means to be cut off, or to be cut off, isolated. He sent him to a place called the cut off, to hide alone, and be completely dependent on God, to supply what he needed. You know, you'll go through seasons in life where God will create situations of lack or God will use a situation of lack so that you learn to trust in Him to be a source of provision in your life. 
And I think that's what he's doing here in the life of Elijah, if nothing else, just to show us a great example here. Took him to a place where there was nobody, isolated and alone. You ever gone through a season like that in life where God just isolates you to work on you? Aren't those just the best times ever? Woo! Yes! Lord, I can't wait. Put me out there so I feel isolated and alone and, and kind of disconnected and a little dead inside and leave me in a place where I don't really understand what's happening around me. And then, then when all that's happening, then try to teach me some stuff and get me to grow on my walk with you and trust you a little bit more. Yeah! That's gonna, what is he doing? You ever ask that sometimes? Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? And that's what he's doing here in the life of Elijah. And this is what I figured out, that God's really good at doing different things to grow us in different seasons of our lives, but God's always in the business of making sure that we grow in our lives. God's process to grow us changes, but his goal is always our spiritual maturity and trust in him every time. That's his goal. From the moment we take our first breath as a Christian until we breathe our last breath and enter into eternity, we are in a process of growth and development where God is shaping us into who he called us to be. You know, if you do the same workout enough, your body gets used to it. So you got to change it up. You know, so you can't just do the same thing all the time because you won't get the results. But if you mix up your workout and change it up, if you hit the weights, and then you do cardio, if you change from low reps to high reps, and you keep throwing your body curveballs, then it doesn't have time to adjust, and it's constantly in a state of growth and challenge from the resistance that you're throwing at it. And that's how God operates a lot of times in our lives. He's always changing up the workout. Am I telling the truth this morning? He's always changing up the workout to get us to grow. John 15 is a real encouraging passage of Scripture. John 15, starting in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I was reading this one day, and then I realized, you know what? This kind of stinks. Because if you're not fruitful and productive, the Bible says that you're going to get cut. But if you are fruitful and productive, the Bible says you're going to get cut. So no matter what you do, you're going to get cut. You're either going to get cut off or you're going to get cut on so you can be more productive and bear more fruit. That's crazy. Everybody hold up two fingers like this and go snip, snip, snip. God likes to cut. He's in the business of pruning. He's always working on us, and it is not comfortable at all. I brought some toys this morning. These are pruners. These are pruners. You walk up to the branch, pow, snap it off. You feel real manly, or you feel like Shira, woman princess. Cut it off. God is constantly cutting on us to get us to produce more fruit. 
he's always cutting back and sometimes creating lack in our lives so that we grow through the process to produce more fruit on the other side. Pastor Brad, do you trust me with your hand? He'll trim a little bit here, trim a little bit there. Say, oh, that looks good. Let me take a little bit off the top. <laughs> snappy, snappy, snappy. You guys trust me way more than you probably should with these things. Sometimes he cuts big things out of our lives. Sometimes he'll come to you and speak and just take out little details. And He's always trimming and pruning and working on us. But the end result is so that we can be what? More fruitful. What does that mean? That sounds so churchy. How am I supposed to be? That means so you can be more productive in the kingdom of God. So you can mature and grow and be at a place to be used by him in a more productive way. He's always trimming back. He's always working in our lives. And I've noticed that a lot of times in the beginning of our relationship with God, we're always excited about the things that God's speaking to us and God's showing us and and. Sometimes it's real easy just to lay down things that God speaks, you know. And we say, you know what, if you, if you want to get closer to me, then you're going to have to spend time in my word and spend time in prayer. No problem. I'll spend time in your word. I'll spend time in prayer. Then you get to this place where you get closer to God, and, and, and then you realize that the stuff that you entertain yourself with kind of gives you this weird feeling in your spirit. And you realize, you know what, this stuff that I'm used to putting into me is at odds with what God's trying to put inside of me and if I want to get closer to him and be more sensitive to him, then I've got to cut out a lot of this junk that I'm allowing to get into my spirit. And he'll just speak to you and show you these things to lay down. And he'll show you people that you don't need to be around anymore because they're a negative influence at this time in your life. And while you might be able to turn around and reach them for Jesus later, right now for your spiritual benefit, you probably need to get away from them till you get your feet under you and you can stand on your own two feet spiritually. He'll just show you these things over and over again. And then we get to the point where God finally starts to cut on something that we're not comfortable with. See, people will shout and praise God for the blessing. People will get excited for the word that's spoken. People will get excited when God speaks to us as a church and says, we're going to see 2,000 people come to know Christ over the next five years. That is so awesome, but we fear the cut. We love the blessing and we love his presence, but we're afraid of the cut sometimes. That cut is where we grow the most. And so he'll go to those deep parts of who you are and bring up that one time when you were a child and that person spoke that negative word over your life. And he'll show you how you've changed and you've carried it with you all through your childhood into your adulthood and you've let that be a motivating factor in your life and it's negatively, negatively influencing you and he'll say that right there. It's time for that to come out. It's time for that to come out. He'll look at, he'll, he'll speak to you sometimes and he'll begin to deal with the hurt that's in your heart from the dysfunction in the family that you grew up in. I know I'm not preaching to us in here this morning because we all have perfect families that we came out of. Nobody came out of any kind of dysfunctional family at all in here. He'll speak to you and say, that hurt 
that you're carrying from your mother or your father. That, that pain that you've been covering up and that insecurity that you're carrying right now because of the abuse that you were exposed to physically and verbally and emotionally and sometimes physically, he'll say, you know what? What they did to you was wrong. But it's time to forgive. It's time to forgive. It's time to let me cut that out and heal these areas of your heart. He, he does this in these times of isolation. So, you know, it's funny. You can be surrounded by people and still feel isolated, sometimes spiritually. It's funny how he works in you. But we're all going to go through those seasons. And this is what he was taking Elijah through in a sense. In a place of isolation so that he could learn to be dependent on God as his source and his provider. And he'll walk us all through those times. He'll walk us all through those times and those seasons because he's interested in us growing up to become more spiritually mature. And he's incredibly interested in us learning how to trust him on a different level. Because as we take those steps progressively to grow closer to him, we become more productive for him. And he's able to do more in us and through us. Does it make sense? That's what he's showing Elijah in this season of his life. He'll work to trim back things and work sometimes by putting us in areas of lack. And then trouble happens. So Elijah's out there by this brook. And in 1 Kings 17... Looking at verse 7 now. It says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, I've got that highlighted for a reason. Now, who directed the widow? God. Okay, he told Elijah... I have directed, I have told a widow who's where you're going to supply you with food because where you're at right now can no longer sustain you. So Elijah goes on this journey that's probably pretty close to, give or take, 100 miles. Okay, And if he didn't have a horse or a camel, he's doing the two-step walk all the way up there. 100 miles he travels to this place to meet this widow that God has spoken to and told her to supply him with food. He's leaving a place of lack, going to a place of new provision where God is sending him, okay? So he goes to a place of new provision. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? And she was going to get it, and then he called, hey, uh... Why don't you uh, bring me a piece of bread? Which if he was in the south, he would have said, Hey, can I have some sweet tea and can you bring me some biscuits? That's what he was saying to her. Bring me some bread. Now look at her response. Elijah goes to the gate. He talks to the widow he's supposed to be talking to. And she says, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, so that we can eat it and die. Say what? 
Now, this is the place that God has sent Elijah to get provision because there is no more food where he was. There are no more ravens bringing the, the, the meat or the bread. The brook's dried up. Go there. I'm going to provide for you. Elijah says, no problem. I'll go. He gets there, and the person that's supposed to be taking care of him and feeding him says, I ain't got nothing. I can't give you nothing. Oh, and by the way, my plan in this whole situation is just to go back and make a little bit of bread, and then we're going to die. So you have good, good luck with that. You know, that. That's what she tells him. What could be going through Elijah's mind right now? Have you ever went to a place that you felt like God called you to go to, and you get there, and it wasn't the way God, you thought it was going to work out? God speaks to you about a new season of financial blessing in your life, and you're like, yes, God, open up the doors. I'm so excited about this. And you do what God tells you to do, and you give, and you step out in faith, and you trust God with your finances. And then you get called into the office of work, a couple of weeks later, and they say, hey, guess what? We got to let you go. What the junk? Are you kidding me? I got a word. I was obedient. I did what I was supposed to do. And now I'm in a place of lack again. What is going on? But you remember that a lot of times God uses seasons of lack to show himself faithful and powerful in our lives. Okay? This woman... This woman, something had happened to her. I, I want to show you this. This is, this is just amazing to me. I, he, he gets there, and, and look at what she says to him. He asks for uh, some water and some bread and, and, and all that, and she says, as surely as the Lord, who's God? Your God. She doesn't say the Lord, my God. She says, that God you serve, the Lord, your God. Now, I'm reading between the lines here just a little bit because the Bible doesn't say 100% sure what her motivations were and what her heart condition was right here. So I'm taking a bit of poetic license. But you can look at her attitude and her plan and what she's saying and might be able to infer from this that this is a woman who has become incredibly frustrated with her situation and with God. That God that you serve. I'll tell you, now, this is the same woman, the Bible says, that God spoke to and said, I'm sending a prophet to you. You are going to supply and feed him. This is the same woman that's saying this right here. She responds that way. And Elijah says this. He said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a, a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. I always thought that this was incredibly insensitive and callous and selfish of Elijah. We don't have anything. I'm just going to make a little bit for me and my son and then we're going to die. We're going to starve to this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but before you do that, make a little bit for me. And, uh, and then you, you carry on with your plan and y'all die, but just make sure you make something for me first. That's what I'm looking at. You know, it sounds in incredibly selfish to me. And then I realized something. Elijah's not being selfish here. He's steering this woman back to obedience to what God has spoken to her. He says, okay, your plan is to die? Yeah, okay. 
But how about this? Before all that happens, how about we be obedient to what God told you to do? You supply for me. Maybe Elijah knew something from his preparation in that ravine that the woman had neglected to allow God to teach her up until that point. Elijah knew to never let your circumstances determine your faith. Always fix your faith on what God said. And I'll say that one more time as they put it up on the screens for you. Never let your circumstances determine your faith. Always fix your faith on what God said. This woman was caught up in her circumstances. This woman was caught up in what she saw around her. God had spoken a word to her, but she had become frustrated because as God said, I want you to provide for the prophet this coming, she saw that flower supply getting lower and lower and lower and the oil getting lower and lower and lower. And she got frustrated, it looks like, and aggravated to the point where she wouldn't even acknowledge that God was her God. And she said, the Lord God that you serve, uh -uh. Elijah is completely different because Elijah had learned to trust and what the Lord said over what he saw happening in his life. Now this is where you're going to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants. And your growth and your relationship with God. Because there are going to be seasons in your life where God's going to speak something to you. And you're going to know God's speaking it to you. And then it's going to look like everything in your life is working against what God just said was going to happen. And you've got to learn how to look past what you see around you and fix your eyes on what God spoke over your life. And the truth of what God has in his word. Because this is what I've learned in my very short life is this. That God quite often doesn't rely on facts to dictate what he does in your life. In fact, the, the facts are most of the time going to be at odds of what God has spoken over your life if you're beginning to step out into a realm of faith in your life. And so you've got to learn to choose because the facts sometimes lie. Everybody do hashtag. Hashtag fake news. I'm telling you, facts sometimes are fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Okay, so God tells you he's going to bless you financially or God lays on your heart to give to the church or to give and participate in his financial plan. So you do that, you trust God, and then all hell breaks loose in your finances. You lose your job or you lose your source of income or you get your pay decreased or the business drops off and you're wondering where it's going to come from. The facts will tell you that you're broke. But the promise of God is going to tell you something else. So you've got to choose whether or not you're going to believe the facts that you see or trust the promise of God. Always land on the promise of God over the facts. I'm telling you, the facts are going to tell you that you got cancer. The facts are going to tell you that you've got diabetes. The facts are going to tell you that you've got arthritis. The facts are going to tell you that your body's falling apart. Now, are you going to land on the facts 
The x-rays are there. The doctor's reports are there. Or are you going to rise up in faith in your heart and know that I still serve a God that can heal? I still serve a God that can do the miraculous. And you can tell me what you want to tell me all day long. And I can look at the facts and I can see what the situation says. But I know what my God is capable of doing. So I'm not going to let what you're telling me right now affect the faith that I have in the God that I serve. This is where the rubber meets the road in your life. The facts are going to tell you that your marriage is falling apart, that there's no way it's going to come back together. The facts are going to tell you that your spouse has cheated on you. Are you going to believe the facts or are you going to stand on the word of God and say, I believe that God can heal and God can restore and I can forgive and God can bring us back together. I'm going to stand on the truth of the word of God. I'm not going to give in to the The world is going to throw all kinds of stuff at you. It's going to throw facts and situations and all of this stuff to frustrate you and you have got to be able to stand on your own two feet and look at the storm going on around you and say, I know what I see, but it's temporary and it's not real. The spoken word of God over my life is eternal. And I'm choosing to stand on that over what I see. Throw whatever you want at me because my God is able to make a way where I'm not seeing a way right now. That's the difference. It's the difference. When Jesus was with the disciples and they were out in the boat, and here comes the storm. Here comes the storm. You know the story, right? Jesus is asleep. The disciples are seeing the storm. They're seeing the waves. They're seeing the wind. Was the storm there or was the storm not there? Storm was there, right? It's really happening. The wind was blowing. The waves were real. They're crashing all around. The water was coming into the boat. The boat was fixing to go down. Amen? It was going to happen. The facts said they're in trouble. The situation said that they were in trouble. But they forgot that they had a dude named Jesus in the boat that could fix the whole thing. When Jesus stood up and he spoke to the storm, he rebuked it. But I want you to catch this, okay? I want you to catch this like I've got it in my spirit right now. When he said, peace be still, he wasn't so much rebuking the waves or rebuking the wind or rebuking the storm as much as he was speaking a creative word of peace into a situation where there was no peace. I don't think y'all got that. He stood up where there was no peace and he spoke peace into a storm. The storm was there until he spoke the peace then the storm stopped because the peace was created at the spoken word of Jesus. Are you catching up to me now? Are you with me on this? When, when you look at the words that are there, when, when the Bible says that the wave stopped and the wind stopped, it wasn't that they slowly died down or that the, the storm stopped and the water began to, you know how you get in a pool and you turn up the water in the pool and you, everybody gets out and the water's still moving from from what's happened in the pool or a boat goes by on the lake and it causes the waves and the water's going to move until it calms back down. That's not what happened in this situation. When Jesus spoke instantly, the winds stopped. Instantly, the waters froze. Instantly, it became like glass because he wasn't rebuking a storm. He was speaking and creating 
peace in a situation where there just happened to be a storm. Now, the same Jesus that can do that can speak anything into existence into your life. What do you need today? Do you need peace? Do you need a breakthrough? Do you need healing? Do you need restoration? Do you need a financial miracle in your life? Do you need favor? Do you need God to restore relationships? I'm telling you, he is the same Jesus that spoke peace into existence from the boat. He's the same God that stood on a void of nothing and spoke this universe into creation. There is nothing that we face that God cannot speak the solution to and end in our lives. He is the source of all provision. This is the difference. See, Elijah knew that. The lady did not. So he said, obey what God said, and then we'll see what God does. 1 Kings 17, 14 says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Obedience unlocks the provision. See, she saw the situations and the lack. Elijah saw the lack, but he looked through it and realized she wasn't the provision. God was his provision. And seasons of lack, when we go through them, whether we're coming out of them, whether God's teaching us through them, or whether God's moving in them to provide and make a way and be provision in our lives, and those seasons of lack that we walk through, he is always the source every time. Where we see lack, he sees an opportunity to prove himself mighty time and time again. Now, i got a question for you today. Are you walking through a season of lack in your life? Are you walking through a valley in your life right now? Are you walking through a time of testing? Are you walking through a season where you're having to trust God on a whole new level? Are you coming out of a season of just being spiritually dumb and this enemy is attacking you because you're trying to move forward away from that to get on track with God and he's hammering you with your failures and showing you the lack in your life, telling you, God is the source. He makes up for the lack in our lives today. I want to pray for you because I believe that God is going to move in our lives today. How about you? Yeah. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. I'm going to ask the, the band to come on up and begin to play as we get into the presence of God. I may not be talking to everybody here this morning, but I know I'm talking to somebody this morning. So as the band comes up, Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Are you going through a time of lack? I believe that God doesn't just want to remind you of what he's capable of today, but that he wants to show you also. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Pastor Josh, I'm going through a time right now where there's just lack. I don't have the motivation. I don't have the confidence. I don't have, I, I, don't, I don't see myself like God sees me. I, I don't have the tools that I need to step out. And I'm in a situation where I know God is calling me to do something, maybe, and I don't have what I need. And the frustration is there because what I'm seeing is not what he's spoken. And are you going through a season of lack in your life? We serve a God that is more than able to supply all that we need. 
physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of it. If you're here this morning, you know, Pastor Josh, I, I'm going through this. This is speaking to me today, and I want, I want God to, to do in me what he wants to do in me today. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. I want to pray with you this morning. I believe God wants to move in your life. I believe for some of you, droughts are going to end today. I believe that opportunities are going to open up. I believe that God is going to restore and heal and bring back that confidence and silence the lie of the enemy and begin to speak his truth over your life. Today is a powerful day for some of us here today. And if that's you, you know it. On the count of three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. I want to pray for you today. Here we go. Pastor Josh, it's me. One.